Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Good day, spectacular human being. I hope that wherever you are in the world that you are doing well, that you are happy, that you are healthy. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode, sending you a huge, gigantic hug through the airwaves. We have an amazing guest for you. It is my friend, Jacqueline Willette. Uh, She is an amazing person, and this one we've entitled Surviving Lyme Disease, Women's Empowerment, and Indigenous Wisdom. Jacqueline has a really incredible story of uh, everything that she went through um, with Lyme and recovery and learning and traveling the world with indigenous people and the mystical and the practical it's an amazing episode um it's really deep and so i broke it up into two parts because we have a lot to cover we go right into you know her background in being a wilderness guide uh being on top of a mountain for 24 hours um getting diagnosed with lyme that whole nightmare of a process um getting her head diagnosed um not wanting to be alive anymore um having a crazy dream uh, just so much it's, there's so much in here it's it's pretty it's a very intense story and it's really helpful so um you're gonna like this episode if you want to support the podcast the best thing that you can do is one act of kindness today if not three acts of kindness would be even better uh, if you do that just let me know just go hashtag kindness challenge and invite your friends to do the same um you could also pick out one of your aha moments share it on social media tag me facebook and instagram at matt belair that would be amazing um thank you so much for those of you supporting me on Patreon. That, that helps massively. Um, it really does go a long way. And I want to thank Emma Starr and Nikki Padilla for hooking it up and supporting the show. Really appreciate that. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair. Um, the other thing you can do is just head over to iTunes right now and leave me a review because that inspires people to listen. It ups the rankings. It does cut all kinds of supportive mas- magic. So this one is from Thomas Fury and it says, new favorite podcast. Was just turned on to this podcast from a friend of mine. Super cool dude with insightful information to share. Great guests and valuable information that should be known in the mainstream media. Definitely worth checking out. So I appreciate you taking the time to uh, share that. I I really appreciate that. Um, For those of you guys who want coaching, just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. Sign up for the email list and just go to uh, forward slash lucid dreaming if you want a free uh, ebook for a guide to lucid dreaming as well as an audio. Um, And also check out Zen Athlete. And that's it. And my friend who we speak about here, uh, Native American elder David Lone Bear Senapas, an absolutely extraordinary human being. Um, you know, just check out LoneBearsArts.com. Support him. Support our work. Um, I could use some help. He could use some help. So anybody out there that's an administrative assistant, web design, graphic, marketing, video, any of that, if you want to help out, um, you're down for volunteering, just uh, make an inquiry at Matt at ZenAthlete.com, and I will happily onboard that and uh, be really grateful for your support because it's a lot. We're trying to do a lot. 
um, and uh, help is is would be great. So that's it. So before we get into this, just come to a state of peace and coherence wherever you are by taking three deep breaths. So all we're going to do right now is just taking a deep breath in through our nose, setting the intention to come to peace and coherence right now, letting go of all the stress, all the worries, all the anxiety, and just letting that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day, just coming to a totally peaceful and present state of mind, body, and spirit, taking another deep breath in through the nose, holding that breath and just making the firm resolve to be kind and compassionate to yourself first and kind and compassionate to others and feeling just gratitude now and empowered and just let that breath out slowly with all the cares, all the worries and all the self limitations and self criticisms. Taking it one more deep breath in through your nose, holding that breath and just really welling up with the feeling of gratitude of self worth, self kindness, self compassion and compassion to others. And just let that breath out slowly with all the cares, all the worries of anxiety and feeling totally peaceful and present. All right, so here we go in part one with the incredible Jacqueline Willette. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Master Mind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest has gone from bedridden to black belt. She is a martial artist, runner, mom, and women's empowerment guide. She is a spiritual teacher who supports women's transformation through facilitating various events such as sound healing, martial arts, wilderness retreats, and more. Welcome to the show, my friend, Jacqueline Olette. Thank you, Matt. (laughs) It's nice to see you. Thanks for coming on. Good to see you again, too. So I think the easiest way for us to begin, you know, I know your story personally, and it's, it's pretty amazing. Like I've heard you speak about it a, a couple of times, like, you know, the Lyme thing and, and, and everything you do, we're very similar in uh, exploring and passion for wilderness and traveling the world. And you've done all that stuff, um, but you've you kind of faced extraordinary circumstances and you're out on the other side of it. So I think that the best way to begin is just for you to, to share a little bit about your journey and then we'll, we'll, we'll just take it from there because I'm sure it'll just lead into to everything else. Okay, good. <clears throat> I think I'll um, kind of set the, the stage a little bit before I went through that, that journey. Um, I started running as soon as I could walk. So, um, I, you know, my parents are pretty active. I grew up in Maine and I remember being really tiny and watching my dad go out for a run. And I wanted to go for a run with him, but, um, you know, I couldn't. And and finally, they started taking me out on, on little jogs and actually ran my first road race when I was three years old. I just turned three and ran 1.1 miles. I thought it was really fun. And so that became like a thing that I really wanted to do. So I spent my childhood um, driving around with my parents and my sisters going to these road races all around Maine and uh, we would camp we had like a pop-up camper and um, my dad had a canoe so we'd have the the truck and all the kids and uh, go out head out go canoeing camping and and racing and that is what I live for um, my sister di- sisters didn't really continue running but I did um, through high school I was you know pretty active and played soccer and basketball and um, softball and continue running road races and always trying to beat my best time and 
Um, I always wanted to get like the fastest time in the mile and worked really hard to do that. And um, then when I got to college, I started to explore kind of like the other kind of sports. So instead of the team sports and racing, I got into rock climbing and whitewater rafting and backpacking and those sorts of things. And I loved exploring the earth in, in a new way and ended up uh, you know, getting to the end of high school, knowing college is coming, but not really knowing what I wanted to do. And in, in that place, it, it seemed like my friends all around me had, you know, I'm gonna go to this college and I'm gonna be a doctor, I'm gonna do this. And I kinda, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Like all of a sudden, <laughs> here I am, like ready to go out in the world and I didn't have a plan, I had been enjoying my life up to that point and I took a year off and did a lot of camping and hiking and um, I thought about going to school for sports medicine so I had checked out some colleges and had been accepted and one of the colleges I decided to go there um, but I took this year off to kind of think about it and in that year off they decided to offer this new program it was called outdoor education so I was like, oh, wow, I did not know that you could go to college to be a wilderness guide. And I decided that's really what I wanted to do. I didn't even know that was possible. So I went to that college and my major was outdoor ed, uh, wilderness leadership and adventure education. So we had the, the typical um classes you know sitting in the classroom and learning about group theory and <laughs> how to work with people and math and and all that and um, at one point i remember sitting in the classroom and looking at the, the overhead projectors i don't know if they still use those but <laughs> looking at the overhead projectors learning about how to take people outside and i thought like what the heck am i doing <laughs> like it sounded like a really great idea but i'm actually inside learning about this and sitting in the back corner where there's only like one little sliver of a window and so I finished out that semester and then um, I decided to go out on a wilderness journey to see if that would um, if that really is what I wanted to do so I did a Knowles course it was the National Outdoor Leadership School I thought it was the best you know outdoor school in the entire world so I did a full semester there. I was able to get college credit and I learned about leadership and decision making and we climbed a bunch of really tall mountains. We spent, you know, 11 days backpacking and a couple of weeks canoeing. So I was out in the wilderness for 88 days. And during that time, I was the whole, over the 88 days, I was reflecting, you know, is this really what I want to do with my life? Like, could I imagine myself being this outdoor guide? And everything inside of me was like, yes, 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 this would be awesome. <laughs> like, whoever thought of this? And um, so I did the rock climbing, and it was amazing. And just to see how just being out in the wilderness actually changed people, like, when you're out there, things get more real. Like you can't pretend that something didn't happen because you're with these people for 88 days. You can't just like stuff it under the bed or, you know, do something else. So it taught me a lot about, you know, working with people and moving through things and really like learning to be yourself. And 
remember I didn't have a lot of money to buy all the fancy gear. So some people had really like awesome outdoor gear and, uh, and I had gone to like Goodwill and gotten a bunch of stuff. And I had this poncho that got ripped up like as we were hiking through the Manzanita trees in Arizona. And I realized like it, it didn't really matter like what your clothes looked like out there. It was more about the function. Do they, do they actually function? It's not about style or who has the best brand. And I think a lot of people learned about that out, out um, on that wilderness trip. But every day, I just um, kept, like, exploring myself a little bit more. Like, who am I in this place? Who am I in this desert? Who am I, you know, camping out and sleeping under the stars and um, having hummingbirds come up really close to my face? And we had a, on our rock climbing section, I remember, like, getting up early and running and uh, we did yoga and meditation and we learned about climbing but not just to climb up the rock. Our teacher really focused on, like, you know, when you fall, what was the thought that you had before you fell and relating climbing to life. And so, you know, I remember practicing some of the moves and, you know, I'd fall and then I'd, oh, yeah, I can go back. What was I doing? Oh, I was holding my breath. I wasn't breathing. I wasn't present. I was thinking I can't do this. And the lessons that I learned in that, climbing camp are so powerful i still use them today um, it's just kind of like a way to dance through life and so i knew at that moment that that's that's what i wanted to do i wanted to be a guide um, i wanted to work with technical skills i got interested especially in the way that um, women learn technical skills very differently um, this is kind of a, a general statement but it seemed like they took longer to kind of learn and to understand, but once they got it, they really, really got it. So I had this dream of, well, my job could actually be, I could be a, a main guide, I can have my own company, I can guide women in the wilderness to teach these technical skills, um, backcountry. So I decided to go back to college and finish my college, so I had that degree. I went back and, and I did it. I did like 20 credits um, per semester and did as much volunteering and leadership hours and getting in touch with as many different guiding companies as I could so that I could learn about it because Knowles is one thing. The way my college was teaching was another, um, but I got involved in therapeutic use of wilderness and some of the alternative schools. I went to school in Vermont, so there's a lot there. So I worked with some of those kids rock climbing and doing um, like team building and leadership training. And it was all just so amazing. It was so experiential that I thought, you know, this is one way that we can help change the world, you know, through these experiences and being aware of what we're experiencing. And I finished up a college and I wanted to go back and be a Knowles instructor. So I ended up uh, working really hard. Um, I was so nervous to apply to be um, on their instructor course. So I wanted to make sure that I had plenty of um, hours in and, you know, I had this like 35 page resume of all the mountains and, you know, technical climbs and everything and uh, all these 
everything already and I had worked for therapeutic programs um, mostly boys out in the wilderness and so then I finally was like okay I'm gonna do this I submitted my application and I did my Knowles instructor course it was a 35-day course out in Arizona and we did uh, I think it was 19 days backpacking and then the rest were climbing and what the instructors did was have us get up early like 4 a.m and hike really far and um, just go through like you know if you're the leader then how would you make decisions we were in places where there had been forest fires so there's you know you couldn't really see the trail but so how do you make decisions with a group <laughs> when you can't find the trail there's no blazes um, and they just put us through a bunch of different situations and scenarios. So we'd be tired at the end of the day, hiking all day, and then they'd have like a simulation, um, you know, like a, a first aid kind of situation, wilderness first aid. So then we'd have to go into that and then make dinner. So they've made it really challenging, mostly to see like, how do you make decisions when you're tired? How do you make decisions if you haven't eaten dinner yet and you're hungry or you're cold? Um, what is your, they call the expedition behavior? Like how do you treat other people even though you're really uncomfortable? Like how do you keep moving forward? And that was just incredible in itself, that instructor course. And then we did the, the climbing, which was really awesome. And I did um, extra classes so I could learn about um, guiding women in, in rock climbing and so I, I was like yes okay I'm gonna do it I'm gonna be a Knowles instructor and um, I got offered a contract right after um, there weren't many women in the field then so I think there was probably four on my entire course and I think there's about 20 people total so there weren't um, a huge number of women who are actually guiding and out in the field or teaching rock climbing. So I got a, offered a contract right away and I was so excited. Um, it didn't start for a couple months. So um, I left Tucson, I traveled around, I lived in, I've been living in my car kind of on my own for five years, just traveling, exploring. So I thought, what the heck, I'll go explore caves. I was also like really fascinated by the different caves and, and caving and going underground and um, so I did a little trip on my own to explore some of those and went up to Oregon and Idaho and just kind of just went wherever I felt like going like whatever was calling me and it was so awesome to just live in my car and be able to do that um, but I did go back and I was in my first course that I worked for Knowles was in the Wind River Range in Wyoming and they're beautiful high mountains, you know, some glaciers and snowy peaks year, year round. And the first course I led was a 30 day course. It was like their traditional course, it was backpacking, backcountry rock climbing and fly fishing. And I remember being up there and you know, like teaching the, the students how to read their map and compass and set up their tents and um, teaching them some leadership skills. And then it gets to a certain point where you kind of like let them go on their own. They hike ahead and then the instructors would hike behind and meet them at camp. And 
during that time, uh, the students went ahead. So we kind of just had a moment to be like, okay, well, hopefully, you know, everything we taught was good and that they make it. And, and then we can just like breathe for a minute. So we've been, you know, working all up until that point. And I remember looking around and we made, I love coffee. <laughs> we had this uh, French press, like travel mug that I carried with me always had hot drinks on the on the trips and just making our our coffee in the morning like the smell of the whisper light stoves and uh, the fresh coffee and drinking that and looking around and just thinking like wow you know whoever knew this was possible this is the best job in the whole entire world like i'm standing up here in the high alpine the beautiful colors i can see the glaciers i can see the lakes they're like the most beautiful crystal blue that I've ever seen. And it's just so calm up there. And um, me and the other instructors are pouring a little bit of coffee out on the ground as an offering to all our friends who are stuck in their cubicles. And we're like, yes, we did it. We figured out life. And in that moment, I knew like, okay, I'm 24 years old and I have my entire life figured out. Like, this is awesome. And then the rest of the trip, we had a couple of weeks left and it was, we're swimming and playing and fishing and it was just, it was great. Um, we could kind of take our time and chill out at those spots where, where we wanted to by the lakes and seeing animals I'd never seen before. They're different there than they are on the coast of Maine. And then I returned, um, we finished up that trip and I had a little while until the next contracts. Um, so with that type of work, you kind of work contract work. And so I decided um, there was a point where I, I was driving and I remember thinking, well, I could go climb the Grand Tetons right now because I can see those and I've always wanted to do that. Or I could take a left here and go back to Maine visit my family, go to the ocean. And I could see like little sparkles on the water. It had been a while since I'd been at the ocean and I thought, I'm gonna do it. I'm just gonna drive back to Maine and surprise my family. And, and then I'll come back and work for Knowles in a little while. And so I, I did the trip, I think it's like three days straight. I might've stopped at a rest area and slept. And I got back to Maine and was like, surprise, <laughs> you know, um, I've got my life all figured out and here I am. And then while I was home, I was like, well, it might be kind of cool to stick around for a little while. So maybe I can get a job here and go back to Knowles for the summer. So maybe I can work with like a, a school or something and so I ended up getting a job or I did an interview for this job to start a wilderness program for the, this boarding school and I, I remember thinking um, they had two different campuses one was in Maine and one was in Connecticut and I said I'll take it if they offer me the one in Maine but I'll say no if they offer me the one in Connecticut and so they call and they say, well, we got some good news and um, we'd like to offer you the job. I was like, yeah, all right. I'm going to, you know, work here and set up this program. It'll be a good way to kind of bring my skills in. And they said, but it's in Connecticut. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, like I could just feel it. Like I knew I didn't want to go there. Um, but something inside of me was like, yes, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> 
So the next thing I know, I'm in Connecticut um, and starting this uh, wilderness program for boarding school there. So I was researching places I could take them caving on their longer breaks or uh, backpacking trips and climbing um, around that area. And we would do some up towards Maine. And in the meantime, we were doing a service project. So we were uh, raking leaves and helping to clean up a camp in, in Connecticut. It was kind of the off season, it was fall, so nobody was there. And that's where I started realizing that like I was pretty tired. And I remember talking to my sister and saying, you know, I don't, I don't know if I really want this job. And she said, well, be careful, be careful what you wish for. It's like, okay, all right. So I was kind of like, you know, maybe I can look for another job while I'm here. And this just isn't, doesn't feel like it's filling me up. And um, I, I just like, it was really bizarre things started to happen. So um, you know, I had worked in wilderness therapy programs. I was used to knowing everybody's name, knowing how many students I had. I would have up to 16 students. Um, I worked as a senior backcountry instructor, so I had to be on top of these things. And at the school, I realized that, you know, people would leave to go to the bathroom or whatever they had to do, and I would forget who was gone, or I would forget their name. I would forget how many people were there. And it was starting to bug me because I, I just couldn't hold that number in my head. It was just really bizarre and I was just tired. And then I started, um, I went to the school one day thinking it was Monday and nobody was there. And I was like, what is going on? And then I realized, oh, it's Sunday. So somehow in my mind, I had the wrong day. No big deal. Maybe I just need some more coffee or something. And I, so I go home and then another day, the, one of the teachers calls and says, hey, Jacqueline, you have a classroom of 13 students. They're ready to go out. Where are you? And I'm like, I'm in bed. Isn't it the weekend? <laughs> and so all these little things kept happening. And, um, I didn't know what it was at the time. Uh, I had taken a trip up to Maine. I had to bring a few students up there for a weekend um, trip. And the head instructor up there said to me, pulled me aside and he said, you know what? I'm tired of hearing you say that you're sick and tired every day. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, I don't remember saying that. Um, but I guess every day that I was saying like, I don't feel well and I don't, uh, I just feel sick. I'm, I'm tired. And so all of these things, they were like, well, I don't know um, if you can actually, you know, put 110% into this job. Like I was kind of failing at my job for the first time ever. And uh, so they had me go back to Connecticut and talk with the head of school there. And we decided, well, maybe this job isn't for me. Maybe I'm just depressed. And uh, she suggested taking two weeks off. And so I took two weeks off. I had an apartment there on campus and left all my things there, drove back to Maine, visited with my parents. And um, there's some like bizarre things that, that happened during this time. Um, 
I go back to visit my parents and I'm just like so tired and I don't, I don't know like what's going on. Like maybe I'm depressed. Maybe I didn't like this job. And, uh, but the forgetfulness kind of like keeps building up and I'm forgetting now, um, my sister's names and I'm forgetting, um, my name at times. And, um, I'll share this this little little piece that seems like really really bizarre and strange, and I haven't shared it with too many people because it would be like really scary <laughs> if I shared it at that time. But um, I had decided that I'm actually too tired. You're right. I can't give 110% to this job. I don't know why, but I know that I can't. So I decided to resign. And so that meant I had to drive down to Connecticut, which was three and a half hours and pick up my things. So um, during this time, I was also having a lot of like nightmares and just like waking up sweating and like afraid and having all this anxiety, um, but I would forget. So I'd, that would happen all night and then I would kind of forget during the day. But I had this dream where I had died in a car accident and uh, and then I had woken up and then I was like, oh, good, you know, well, I didn't die. So here I am and I'm going to keep going on with my life. And so I go to drive down to Connecticut and um, I have trouble, like, even remembering where the school is. I don't know how I got there. I passed the exit a few times, but on the way, um, I it was just like there was so much movement around me. So I'm driving on the highway just remember this I think I'm going 65 miles an hour and thinking like wow the east coast I don't remember there being so many spirits around and it was like there was all these spirits around me and I was just like really busy and I was like well it must be because it was Friday the 13th and you know I had all these reasons why you know it's Halloween and like the veils are thin like all this stuff is going through my head and the West Coast you know maybe that they just don't have all this stuff going on so I didn't notice it and so the whole drive down I'm focused on the, like these spirits that are all moving around me and um, trying to get to, to the school and I got to the school and I couldn't find anyone. So the head of school wasn't there. I couldn't find any of the teachers. None of the students were there. I checked all over the campus and I couldn't find anyone. I wanted to say, you know, thank you and goodbye. Um, sorry, you know, I couldn't do this. And I was like, well, I guess I'll give up and go in my apartment and start packing. I didn't have a lot because I've been living out of my car for a while. So I pack up my little box of things and I'm looking around and um, it, it just seems so like so strange like I was in this other world and I was like well you know I guess in situations like this then you consult the I Ching so I did that <laughs> that was my solution and the one that came up was duration and I was like that makes no sense at all like why would I get duration and I tried to read about it and then, you know, waiting around to see if anybody called me back or if I saw anybody. And um, at the same time, I had thought that there was this, like, portal in, in the apartment because I was seeing all these spirits in there. Um, like, uh, you know, a girl crying on the bed and um, another guy that just kept walking through, walking through. And 
like a civil war kind of person and I'm just like just seeing this and not thinking it that strange at all and got my things and I was like well I guess if nobody wants to say goodbye or they're not around I'll just leave so I got my things and I left and on the way back um driving on the highway again so it was like 65 or 70 miles an hour and I get to the point where I'm looking behind I had a kind of like an SUV and I'm like I can't believe I'm like dragging all this stuff around like I had to drive seven hours to go pick this stuff up like how important is this stuff and I drove past the point that the dream I mentioned earlier where I, I had dreamed that I'd been in a car accident and died I drove by that place and then it started to go through my head like maybe I did die and I'm just like driving with all this stuff and I'm like how do how would how would I know if I'm not really here and so I'm like trying to you know touch my arms and like pinch <laughs> my face and I'm like how do you tell the difference between a dream or reality or living or not and it's like I have no idea and this like my body was all kind of like buzzy too which is a different kind of a feeling and I had decided at that time that um, I was headed back to go to my sister's birthday party and I would go into the house and if nobody saw me then I would be dead that's how I would know and if only my sister <laughs> saw me then you know, maybe I'd be a spirit, but I'd be able to talk to her. I bet she would be able to hear me. And I decided that my my entire life's mission was actually, like maybe I was still here dragging all my stuff around because I hadn't let go of all the attachments of this physical world. And that was my new life's mission. If I was still alive, I would help people to let go of their attachments to physical things. So um, that was... Uh, kind of you know looking back I'm like I can't believe I was in that space it was you know hours long where I was in this other kind of reality and driving at the same time um, I did get back to my parents house and everybody kind of you know acted normal and was interacting with me so I was like okay I think I'm still alive <laughs> I'm gonna take a break and get some water <laughs> oh my god that's an well, you've shared a lot there, and this has been amazing just to sit back and listen to to get more of the details because I have some of the details from just you know knowing you and hanging out. Um, that sounds terrifying. And what I was kind of thinking was, isn't it interesting that when reality starts to slip, you're experiencing it in a way, but you don't question it as odd. You know, it's just like you're just going through your lens, so these things are happening, and, th and then your mind just kind of fires in different ways to be like oh yeah this is perfectly fine there's like a now portal in my room and spirits like oh shit am i am i dead and i've had i've had a similar experience once where i was in a whole nother dimension for a while and uh i was like uh oh and i, <laughs> I had to kind of check too. so it's not a fun experience uh by any means so i'll just let you continue continue on <laughs> yeah it's, a, it's um an experience that i don't really share with too many people um but it it was yeah just so so like I had no idea what was going on but I was like I'm gonna just go with it <laughs> and so I'm back at my parents house and we had the party and I just you know I felt tired and 
Um, everybody left. I went to sleep. And the next day when I got up, I went to get in the shower and um, my parents have a mirror in their bathroom and I saw something on my back. And so I looked again and about this big, um, there's a red bullseye rash on my back. And I was like, oh, phew, now I know like what I have. This is Lyme disease. This is like, you know, the typical marker. So I had been sick for about three weeks. Um, actually, September 18th, <laughs> 2006 is when I first started getting sick. Um, so it was three weeks and then I saw that. And so immediately I felt like relief, like, oh, okay, you know, so all this crazy stuff that's happening, um, it's just Lyme and it can be cured and, and treated easily. My mom took me to the doctor and they said, yeah, it's usually 14 days of antibiotics. You'll be back to work in no time. Um, I had called my job and uh, told them I actually had Lyme and, you know, maybe the other kids should be tested. Um, they took a whole different route than I thought. Um, they took it into like workers comp kind of zone where I was just trying to share what was going on and concern for the kids. Um, so that didn't go very well uh, in contacting them. But I thought, okay, great. So this is something I can take care of. Um, at that time, and still today, some doctors say Lyme is hard to get and easy to cure. Um, and I had heard some other people's experiences where, you know, they had these like hallucinations and um, like night sweats and kind of like really flu-like or achy. And that all made sense to me. So I started the treatment and um, I ended up getting like a lot worse. Um, they say that once you start treating the Lyme, like if it's a bacteria, so if the bacteria are dying, it's kind of giving off a neurotoxin. So um, those symptoms that I had about like not knowing if I was alive or not actually um, got so much more intense uh, as I started this treatment. Um, I think I was in bed. I don't know if I even moved for a few days. And then I started kind of coming out of it and I was having all this anxiety, um, but still these things happening where I thought a crow had flown in my window and went into my closet. And I was like, you know, okay, the crow's in the closet. I'm just gonna shut the door and call my sister. and. So I called my sister and, and I was like, okay, so I think a crow flew in my, in my closet. And she's like, okay, yep. And just like no big deal to her. She wants to help me find the spiritual reason why this is happening. <laughs> and so we kind of analyze it and, you know, figure out what this crow is, is meaning and um, just like a bunch of things like that, like seeing a lot of things that weren't there and, and hearing other people talking and, ended up uh, with a really excruciating headache. Like I couldn't, I can't even describe it. It was the most intense pain that I've ever had. And uh, my mom said I was just laying on the floor screaming that I wanted to go home, like take me out of this body, I wanna go home. And so she brought me to the hospital at that time, uh, to the emergency room, that's what the doctor had suggested. Um, and when I got there, the rash that I had had faded. So I had the diagnosis of Lyme, but without that rash, they don't really have anything to go on. 
I'd had a positive test. Um, I don't think it had come back at that time yet. So it was in between the positive test and the rash. And so I'm in the hospital and they're testing me for every drug, um, for, you know, like all these different things. And I'm telling them like, I, I had Lyme, I just started this treatment and the doctors didn't believe me there. And I ended up um, I remember going to the bathroom and coming back and getting lost from the bed to the bathroom because uh, I couldn't like see, I couldn't think. Um, just the way that I was processing information didn't make sense. I couldn't read. It all looked like Spanish or another language. And uh, the next thing I know, they're like, oh, come with us. And I went to a different part of the hospital and they had me take off, you know, all my clothes, all my jewelry, and put me in their clothes. And I was locked in a room. Um, and they had a psychologist come and sit down and start, you know, asking me questions. And this is, uh, during this time, I had different voices going through my head. Um, one was talking about, uh, like, not eating certain vegetables and things and so I was like listening to that and staying away from it like I'm used to listening to the voices that I hear but this was kind of confusing because there's a lot of them um, but later I found out there was like a um, bacteria on the spinach that was making people sick so like in some sense it was making sense but then you know it's like all these these voices that are talking and I can understand all of them and they're not, um, weren't telling me to do anything crazy, but just kind of like, uh, like the antibiotics, like not wanting me to take these antibiotics and I was still taking them anyway. Um, so that's part of the reason, you know, this doctor is sitting there and is like, you know, so tell me about these voices and hallucinations and my mom's there. So at the same time, there's this other voice that's saying, well, don't tell him everything. <laughs> like, don't tell him because he's not, like, coming from the same place. Like, I knew I had Lyme. I knew I was sick. I knew that there was something going on that was causing all this. I was trying to look at it as, like, a spiritual experience, but also knowing that that I was sick and, and needed something. Um, so I ended up I had to stay there all night while they monitored me and my mom stayed with me and they left, they gave me pamphlets on schizophrenia, um, bipolar. Um, I had, I think I left with a, like a ton of different diagnoses. So, uh, they did some, uh, head scans and things like that and tested my blood and, and sent me to my regular primary care the next day. And I'm, now I'm thinking, okay, so I have Lyme and I'm schizophrenic and I have bipolar and I'm depressed. And like, I have no idea like how I got from, you know, living my dream to this place in just three weeks, <laughs> you know, this is like three weeks later, four weeks later. And uh, my doctor had said, oh no, you know, that's, uh, we can, um, you're not bipolar, schizophrenic, you know, I've known you your whole life. This is just something that's going on with the Lyme. And um, from there, it was, uh, it kind of got a little better. Uh, after 30 days, I actually, I felt like I was pretty good and that I could start going back to work. So they took me off the antibiotics 
And two days later, I just started getting more sick. And from there, all the doctors said was that I had Lyme, I was treated, and that anything I was experiencing was just the, what they called post-Lyme Lyme syndrome. So there is no further treatment. You just kind of wait till it wears off or so your body comes back into balance. Um, they said it was like an autoimmune thing. So uh, I was like, okay, so, you know, a couple months, then I should be back. And then after a couple months, I'm going to all these doctors and they're saying, you know, well, there's, I've not improved any. I still have fevers. You know, my health was declining, but they still held on to that. You know, you have post-Lyme syndrome, you have chronic fatigue syndrome, you have fibromyalgia. It's all related to the Lyme, but there's nothing we can do. And then, you know, six months in, I'm basically in my bed. I can't do anything. I can barely um, make it downstairs to the bathroom and back up. I'm like crawling up the stairs and laying at the top of the stairs so I can catch my breath to get back to my bed. And they're just saying, you know, you know, you'll get better. Sometimes it takes a year. And in the meantime, they test me for every single other disease that they could test for. And luckily I didn't have any of those, um, but it still left me in this place of like, well, I had Lyme and then I didn't, and now I'm really sick. And I have all these syndromes <laughs> that there's no cure for. And I just got so angry because I'm like, these doctors should know, like I'm sick. They should know how to, how to treat me and make me better. Like that's their job. And I'd go in and I'd say, okay, these are my symptoms. And they'd say, oh, you know, we don't want to look at the, I had like, you know, 20 different things going on. Um, just give us your top three. <laughs> And, oh, yeah, no, that's nothing. You're, you're just going to get better. Ended up going to um, all different specialists. I think 16 different ones in total. Uh, I went to neurologists and infectious disease and neuropsychologists and uh, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and with the, the neurologist, tried a few things. Um, I had attention issues, memory issues, vision issues, and he tried me, giving me Adderall and to help my focus, and so maybe it helped my focus, but my body just, you know, after a day of that, it was like, no, thank you. It was just like, I can't handle that. Like, what is this? Um, so that actually made me even more sick, and he tried a bunch of different things, and he's just you know, this isn't, this isn't working. Why don't you go to Connecticut? So I went to Connecticut, went to a doctor there. Um, I don't have much memory, but I remember this quote from this um, infectious disease specialist who was at a teaching hospital in Connecticut. He said to me after looking at all my symptoms and talking to my mom, why don't you join an exercise group at the Y so that you can be more motivated to get your ass out of bed? And I was like, what? My mom just drove me all the way here to hear that. And, you know, good thing I had my mom because she was, you know, such an advocate. And she said, well, what about her fever? Like, why do people have fevers? Usually they have something going on. And, you know, what about this and this? And um, he looked back through my chart. He did see the photo of the rash. 
luckily I had that. Um, I couldn't see it very well. It was on my back. So my dad had just gotten a new digital camera then and took a picture so that I could see it. And I'm lucky because I kept that. That was part of the diagnosis. And um, so he looked at that and then he looked at my early scans and he said, you know, well, based on this, it does say that you had encephalitis at the early onset. So maybe it hasn't been fully cleared, um, but I can't do anything about it. You'll have to go back to your primary care doctor. And so I'm like, okay, well, you know, like what the heck is going on? And went back to my primary care doc. So I was just going like in all these circles spending all my time at, at doctors and when I wasn't I was in bed or sleeping trying to rest <laughs> so that I could go um, and at one point uh, my well my I guess throughout my mom had been talking to everybody she knew saying that I had Lyme and that I didn't get better and so she had been in contact with other people who had similar stories and um, I remember talking to one woman who had been in a wheelchair. She was so sick she couldn't stand. And listening to her story, I, you know, I actually my mom had to be the go-between because I couldn't even hold a conversation. Um, but this woman had been so sick and in a wheelchair. She had been a dancer, like that was her profession. And right at this time, she was actually well enough to go back to dancing. So just hearing her story and hearing that, you know, this is possible was a huge spark in, in my hope um, that, you know, I can get better. And she gave me some tips on like diet and um, like taking out a lot of like carbs and eating more protein and, and things like that. So I did start to make those diet changes and I don't know if it actually helped at the time, but it helped me to believe that it did. Um, so hearing that story of hope was really, really helpful. Um, I think before that, I can't remember exactly like where everything is just because I had such memory issues, but um, there was another experience that I had where it was the pain just so so bad in my head in my body that I thought you know I could go to sleep tonight and not wake up tomorrow and I kind of entertained that thought like that wouldn't actually be that bad you know I kind of believe a, in like a life beyond this and um, if you know if this is a choice or I'm here then leaving could be a choice too like why would I be experiencing this and um, so I remember just like being in that excruciating pain and this had been going on for weeks and um, I kind of asked to be taken out of the pain and out of the body I was like well my parents won't miss me and you know I kind of convinced myself of all that and like I'm not doing anything I'm 26 I'm just laying in bed like a vegetable and um, not functioning in society or anything so like what's the use in being here um, and after thinking all of that I did have an experience I don't know if it was a dream or uh, what it was but I was pulled out of that body that sick body and um, kind of in this place where there was no pain or you know sensation like that and 
had this conversation um, with another voice that was there and asking, you know, why can't I, why can't I go? Can you take me home? <laughs> I don't want to be here anymore. And this um, voice that talked back to me told me that I could, in fact, leave. It was my choice. Um, and then I had this um, kind of experience where I was put into a body of like a toddler and shown what it was like to learn how to walk and to talk and uh, just to try to communicate and to move that body and I was like oh no <laughs> you know like I could leave but if I came back I'd have to go through all of that because I wasn't quite done with what I was doing here and I, I thought that that is definitely not what I want to do that sounds way harder than just going back to where I am and like healing that body and moving on um, so I did uh, come back into that body and like back into the pain and I had thought after that experience that it would be easy to like to, to heal and to get better and to move forward um, I promised that like in that time that I would share the story if I did survive. Um, I promised that if I was going to live, then I was going to really live. Like none of this, like, um, you know, half-ass kind of thing. <laughs> like, you know, I'm doing this job and I like it, but it's not like what I'm really here for. And it's not really igniting me in my light. Um, so I made those promises. And, um, but then coming back is like, it was hard because I was still in bed and I still could barely move and uh, all that help like it was slow it was slow to come it was hard to to see the way out so at that time I realized like it's not the doctors they don't know they're not taught they haven't experienced this it's not up the up to them to heal me um, they don't have any cure they don't even believe this disease exists and so it's up to me to navigate my way out of this place like it was like being in this dark cave um, so I did realize it was up to me and um, but I didn't see the exact way out so I just I kept asking well what do I do you know if I'm stuck here and I have to do something. I'm just in my bed. I don't have that many resources or, you know, I can't move around. What can I do? So the first thing I, I did, um, I heard somebody tell me from somewhere that I was to write a letter to this disease and thank it. And I was like, ah, no, <laughs> this has been hell. I don't want to do that. But then um, as I started writing it, I got into it and wrote this whole letter of gratitude and, and realized like, hey, wait, you know, Lyme has helped me to slow down. It's helped me to uh, just focus on my breath, like each breath. It helped me to pay attention to my thoughts because my thoughts affected how I felt. Um, it just, it really helped in so many ways, but I was so focused on the doctors being wrong and everybody else being wrong and being all in this um, sick place and really like playing out this huge victim role and so in that I wrote out that gratitude letter and just said thank you and I appreciate this like every breath every step is healing so for me it became like every step after that every thought after that was my way out um, I could choose either way and as soon as I read that to my 
parents, I read it out loud to them and it's like everything changed. That whole situation, the way the doctors treated me, who I met, everything changed. Um, I remember it was like a day later when this doctor's office called and I laughed because the receptionist <laughs> says, hi, this is Angel. <laughs> Her name was Angel <laughs> calling from the doctor's office. And I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> Angel. Um, I had called one doctor's office that had been recommended, but they didn't get back to me for three months because they were so backed up. So anyways, I read this letter and then this Angel calls and um, gets me an appointment to see this uh, Lyme literate or, you know, like a specialized doctor and a naturopath. Um, but he was so booked up still that I had to wait another three months to get into him. Um, but he worked with my primary care doctor to get me on some, some treatments. So uh, just having that um, that little shift in how I was seeing that illness helped to kind of move move me forward. Although it was slow at the time, it was a huge step. Need some water. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. It, you know, it's, it's so um, interesting to listen to because, you know, some of the, it just sounds so incredibly challenging and it's like you have your, you don't know what's happening, you get extremely ill, you're supposed to get better, you don't, you get worse you're getting no answers and you're just stuck and you would, you would feel stuck. Like you'd have this expectation of, Oh, okay, I'm going to get better. And then you don't, you get worse. And then you get into a state of confusion. And I would imagine just like helplessness and frustration and anger. And um, it just sounds like a super challenging situation. So um, I'll just let you continue because it's interesting. And um, you know, I know there's a lot more and then you can just talk about, um, why don't you just continue? Because <laughs> it sounds like we're at the we're at like the turning point. But it it like just listening to it intently, it's just like putting myself in that that idea of how life would shift, you know, and how hard that must have been to light write a letter of gratitude. It'd be like, F you disease. <laughs> this is not good. Screw you, get out of here. Um, yeah. So yeah, so let's talk about, and I know there's some really interesting things in the recovery, and I'm sure you'll get into it too, but some of the things that like the disease, you know, really taught because those are, um, you know, those aren't small lessons. And Zen, I'll talk about like how, you know, a lot of the lessons aren't complicated. There's just levels of depth, you know, and then when your body gets fully taken out, you learn some some lessons in a, in a very deep way. So I'll just let you continue to wherever you want to pick it up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it was it was very frustrating and um I had been sort of like exploring my life anyway in the terms of, you know, well this happened and it's not exactly what I, I wanted it to happen and so what is the lesson in this? But this was so big, it was bigger than what I could see at the moment. I remember getting so frustrated with um they sent me to a counselor and this counselor worked with people who had illnesses who were um, like terminal illnesses. And so I go to this counselor and kind of expecting that I would die. <laughs> and, um, and she was telling me to accept, 
to to just why can't I just accept this and I'd get so frustrated because like I just want to know why I have this and move on either like you know die or like live <laughs> like what is this in between thing and um, so like from all angles it was so frustrating and until I, I wrote that letter and started to to shift and just to be like okay so you know here I am and I can empower myself to move forward it's up to me um, but I have to take that responsibility for my body, for my mind, for my spirit. It can't be up to anybody else. And that's one of the big lessons that I learned. And um, so, you know, I had a little bit of hope because I heard another person's story where they had been really sick and returned to dancing. So I started to hold on to hope. She told me, if you don't have hope, you can't get better. So I took that little nugget of wisdom and I held that. Um, I held that nugget from, uh, you know, knowing that I was going to see a Lyme literate doctor. And for um, just for people who don't know too much about Lyme, um, I had been being treated by a certain, um, there's a certain school of thought that says Lyme is hard to get and easy to treat. And they believe in post-Lyme syndrome. Um, which has no, you know, no cure. Uh, people are just expected to get better. So um, that's the way that I was treated. Um, there's another school of thought and another set of guidelines. Um, and those are, they call them Lyme literate doctors. And, and they think Lyme is easier to get and sometimes harder to treat, like in the, in the later stages. And so to know that I was going to a doctor who had, his wife had um, had Lyme for eight years, and then it took her eight years to recover, but they had been focused specifically on that. Um, so I was like, okay, good, because the doctors I had been to before, they're just going by the book. Like, they just open the book and kind of go like that. So that gave me a little bit of hope. Um, I'll say, too, that uh, in the, you know, Lyme affects the body, the mind, and pretty much like your whole being. So it's, it's challenging because, um, you know, you can be like, oh, I, I broke my leg, you know, I've broken my leg before and I knew it was just a bone and it hurt a lot, but it was going to heal and it would be stronger than it was. Um, having Lyme, it was uh, affecting my brain, the way that I was thinking, the way that I was functioning. And people would say that I look fine. Like I look healthy. I look, I look great. So like, what's wrong with me? It's all in your head, like these things over and over. And um, so I think like just the nature of it is, was challenging, but there were times just to give an example where I would drive my car to a doctor's appointment in my town and I park my car and I go in and I come out and get in the car and look and not know what the letters meant. Like, park, drive, reverse, and I would feel like I was in some sort of like spaceship or something that I didn't know what it did or how to how to work it. And I remember once like sitting there for a long time and hoping nobody noticed me and putting the keys in and then it's like, okay, I'm going to turn this and see what happens. And so I was in that that state of mind where I'm just going to do this and see what happens. And 
um, put it in the different letters and like see what happens. So luckily I didn't hurt anybody. Um, I did have my license taken away because I couldn't cognitively understand how to drive. Uh, I drove through three red lights in Portland um, and I just, I didn't know, like I saw them red. I didn't occur to me that I had to stop. <laughs> and so um, I did have to have my license taken um, for, you know, for medical reasons. And so there were times where I was uh, in bed most of the time, just really tired and sick. And then I'd have what I call a good day, but that was like, I was trying to function in this world and it just wasn't happening. I would go to a grocery store and try and find blueberries and, and wander around, forget why I went in there and then um, sleep in my car because I was so tired. So just, you know, everyday functioning was, was very challenging, but I had, I had these little pieces of hope that I held on to. And um, as soon as the Lyme literate doctor, I connected with him, he worked with my primary care and he said, you know, um, this is what I would suggest based on, you know, we had a phone call conversation. So they put me back on treatment right away. And within three weeks I was back to driving. So um, like back on that treatment, I could like, I was getting up and out of bed and, um, you know, like getting back to trying to live again. Um, and at that point, I was like, I can't believe that I went two and a half years without any treatment. Um, you know, I had this illness, it was never cured. And then they denied me any sort of any other treatment. But here, this is like actually helping me now. Um, I'm not big on antibiotics. And I know there's a lot around that. Um, but that did help at that time. Um, another thing, uh, I was trying to navigate the, you know, the physical, um, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of what was going on. Um, so I had gone to uh, this person that had been recommended. Um, they call him Old Turtle. <laughs> He's an older guy that lives uh, in northern Maine, and he had a bunch of earth lodges. And I went up to visit, he did this, these philosophy classes. So somehow I managed to get there. Um, his real name is Ray Reitze. And all I knew was he was a master main guide. He was really connected with the earth and he had spiritual teachings. So um, in this time, I forget where in the journey, but I had gone up there and went into the lodge and you have to like kind of like duck down and go he used to make the doors really low so you had to like humble yourself to go in and sat down and the people were kind of he was asking why people were there and I was in this place of like I had just been in a cave I had blankets on my windows I wore earplugs because my nervous system was just so um, sensitive and then this this dark cave and now here I am in this earth lodge and there's people there and I'm not used to interacting with people and Ray asked me um, he went around I think I was last he said you know why are you here and just that question to me kind of like hit me I was like why am I here and then I just like started crying it just opened me up and 
I realized that I had been so disconnected from myself. And this is more of like the bigger picture of what had been happening, disconnected from myself, um, from people, from community and from the earth. And I just like started bawling. I'm like, this is so embarrassing, you know, <laughs> I don't know anybody in here. And uh, he said, well, you know, do you want to do some healing right now? And I said, yes, I do. And he looked at me and he said, you know, why don't you just go do what you want to do? And I thought about it and I didn't realize that I could. <laughs> Simple as that. Like, you know, I was in this place of I was going to be a wilderness guide and then I got sick and I was a little upset with that. And, you know, now I'm saying I'm going to live and I'm going to really live, but I don't even know how to do that. <laughs> and so he told me to follow my heart and um, he gave me some dandelion root and <laughs> crushed it up and I drank it as tea. He said it would help to clean my blood and really what that that did it helped me to kind of connect with the earth again. Um, the dandelion root, just drinking that because I had been walking like if I went outside, I'd walk on the pavement. I wouldn't, I couldn't walk, walk too far, but I didn't want to touch the grass or the earth or anything. Like that's what poisoned me. So I'm going to try and really live, but not touch the earth at all. That was my mentality. And so um, Ray kind of busted that for me. And um, so I didn't even, you know, I heard before, you know, why don't you follow your heart? And I thought that's what I was doing with the wilderness guiding. And, but the way that he said it and the place that I was at, I heard it in this whole different way. I was like, I want to understand what that actually means. And I left there and not knowing what I was going to do. And I just kept my, um, like my senses open to, to what is it? You know, what am I following? And um, I had heard about some teachings and they're called the moon key and I didn't know what it was but somehow it like touched my heart like I had a physical feeling when I heard it and so that happened three times like within a week and I thought well that that must be it like I have this feeling I don't know what this is but I guess I'm gonna do it and um, I ended up doing these um, nine rites of initiation with this woman who had been in Peru and, and studied with the Caro who are in these high mountains and she had studied with this um, Alberto Violdo. And so I ended up working with her and within nine weeks, I went from mostly in bed, like bedridden and um, just barely able to sit up to um, moving to Arizona for the winter and I was able to hike again and slowly started walking more and more hiking further and further and um, after five I think it was about five months from when I had first met her um, I was on top of Zion you know Zion National Park <laughs> it's a pretty cool place in Utah and looking down on um, I'd hiked Angel's Landing before and just looking down on that looking at the red sandstone cliffs and thinking like hey you know I'm up here I don't know how I'm gonna get down but I made it up here and um, realizing that those doctors are actually wrong 
the ones that said that I would never, they said I wouldn't recover. They said I wouldn't be able to hike or um, go back to the wilderness that I had been sick and then I was going to be damaged and disabled for the rest of my life. And so I was out there and thinking like, wow, you know, there's so much more than what those doctors know or are trained in. And whatever this woman brought from Peru, it, somehow it, it helped me um, pretty miraculously. Um, it was, I think with her help that uh, like things started to align around me, um, started to see more of the things that I'm interested in. And so instead of like the, the old stuff and the frustration and the things not going my way, everything kind of shifted and was like, oh, all these opportunities are here and I can choose whatever path I want. And like with each step or with each kind of thing that I did that it felt like it lit me up a little bit more. And so I just kept following that. It's like, this must mean what, you know, follow your heart, <laughs> like following this light, like a little spark of light and then it would kind of ignite me and, more and more of myself felt like it came back in this body. Like I felt like I wasn't even really here until I started doing that work with her. And um, it was so powerful that I thought I would, I would learn. I wanted to really learn that like whatever she was doing <laughs> was miraculous. Uh, my doctors were pretty surprised that, I had been able to do that and actually got curious about what I was doing because I had um, started to recover, you know, beyond what they, they thought. So I ended up spending two years studying um, with the different teachers around the U.S. and studying with the Caro and went to Peru and um, hiked their mountains down there. And um, this is where I kind of um, things shifted for me in a way that um, before I had been hiking mountains just like I wanted to see if I could climb to the top and be at the top and see the view and um, kind of like um, conquering things almost in that mindset and when I went to Peru we'd walk a little ways and if somebody got tired we'd stop and instead of the prayers of like, help us get to the top, it was more like, let's be grateful that we're right here, that we've made it this far. And um, I realized like every step up this mountain was a step of prayer, a step of gratitude. And I had never hiked or even walked on the earth in that way. Um, and, you know, I was basically coming from bed <laughs> and then now I'm hiking this 16,000 foot mountain in Peru. Um, I didn't know if my body would be able to do it. The air is a lot thinner there. But in this way of connecting and breathing and like talking with the mountain, asking the mountain to just support me and to lift me up, uh, just gave me this whole other connection with the earth and the way that I can walk in my life, the way that I can walk up this mountain. And I did make it to the top of the mountain and it was incredible because um, it's in this range there's those high snowy peaks that I love <laughs> and uh, I got to connect in a different way and um, just to spend some time up there relaxing and I felt like wow you know I've gone through this whole journey I never thought I'd be able to be in the mountains again and, and now here I am in Peru <laughs> with um, these in incredible people and just being lifted higher than I ever thought possible um, so that was another 
kind of like milestone, like, okay, I've done this. Like, what else can I do? What else is possible in this life? All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed that part one with Jacqueline. Her story is truly inspirational, mind-blowing, um, traumatic, like what she had to go through. Uh, she's a very strong person, very kind, very genuine. And, um, you know, so we're going to dive deeper in part two. Um, we're going to go into some of the what she experienced with the Native American elders, her her healing process and a whole lot more so if you like this episode uh, please share it with your friends Um, take a screenshot and share your aha moments and make sure to uh, tag me Um, the best thing that you can do is to do one act of kindness today if not three acts of kindness would be even better Um, and if you want to take the kindness challenge just uh, do three acts of kindness a day for a week that's it Um, and I would love to know if you're doing that so just tag me on social media let me know that you took up the challenge and I know that the podcast is working so that's the best thing Um, Leaving a review on iTunes is helpful. Supporting on Patreon is really, really helpful um, and appreciated. Thank you so much to all my patrons making this happen. Uh, Make sure to sign up for the email list. And for those of you guys who want to dive deeper and do a um, hypnosis uh, heart journey session, other hypnotic sessions, personal development coaching, spirituality, consciousness, uh, just go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. And there's lots of services there that I'm happy to help you out with, help you level up, uh, overcome limiting blocks, beliefs, and share what I've learned. Um, in this in this lifetime around consciousness peak performance personal development uh, fulfillment and all that kind of magical stuff so that's it um thank you so much for listening i appreciate your time and energy and uh before we close it out let's just come to another state of peace and coherence so wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing and take in a deep breath in through your nose holding that breath coming to a peaceful present state of coherence and just let that breath out slowly with all the stress anxiety depression and fear taking in one more deep breath in through your nose just really connecting to your breath now just focusing on one thing that you're grateful for as you hold that breath and just let it out slowly feeling even more relaxed calm peaceful and present taking in one more deep breath in through the nose and really focusing on that one thing that you're grateful for and just to magnify that gratitude now just being really grateful feeling peaceful present and grateful and just let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day and just see yourself going about the day with a more peaceful calm confident frame of mind knowing that you are powerful whole beautiful amazing just as you are and that you do influence your reality and the universe is totally on your side Um, so there we go i think we're ready to end this one and i'll see you again in part two with jacqueline willette